0: first coming attractions before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the voice america empowerment channel we'll take you behind the scenes interview celebrities and review new movies tv shows and digital releases now here are your hosts from kids first coming attractions Welcome to
1: Kids First Coming Attractions, I'm your host Catherine, and today we'll be talking with Steve Michelson, the producer of Making Media That Matters, George Schellinger and Jessica Harvey for Shark School with Jessica Harvey, Jason Chung who's a professor in the University of Haven in Esports, we'll be talking about Scoob and Octonaut's Ocean Adventures. First, we'll talk with Jerry, who's talking with Steve Michelson, who's the producer of Making Media That Matters.
2: Hey, guys, is Jerry Orr, reporting for Kids First. Right now, Steve Michelson, who is an award-winning executive producer of many amazing, amazing documentaries. He's also the executive producer for the Fund for Sustainable Tomorrows, which helps many amazing and incredible people. Uh, issue-based documentaries come into reality. He's also recently started an online course with the world-famous Ringling College called Making Media That Matters. Steve, thanks so much for being with us today. Happy
3: to be here, Jerry.
2: So the first question I want to ask is before all of this, you are at one pass where a lot of the greatest artists in digital media got their start. So could you talk about
3: how you started there and why you want to get into this business at all? Well, I have five generations now in the media. My father, my grandfather was one of the first to distribute the RCA Phonograph album. My kids are in the media. Even my grandkids are now involved with social media. So it's in the DNA. It's been always something that I never even thought about being anything involved, involved with anything else. One Pass was in a, an amazing experience. I saw... Uh, a camera in 1974. Steve Wozniak was my video engineer before Apple Computer even began. And uh, it was a self-contained video camera and I said this is the camera of the future. Mm-hmm. At the time it was a plywood mock-up and I said I've gotta beg, borrow and steal because this camera is gonna change everything. So I bought the camera. I think I was the fifth in the country to have this portable camera. It was made by RCA which owned NBC and While their engineers were figuring out why this might be a good camera, I was already off and running. And uh, within uh, about 15 years, OnePass went from this one little camera to a company of uh, over 600 people all over the country, not just in San Francisco. So it was Meteoric twice in Inc. 500 company for fast growth. And uh, we we were really quite... The only company in san francisco at the time to really have all the resources you needed to make any kind of media well
2: self-contained cameras are here to stay now you're a documentary filmmaker and sadly documentary filmmaking is not really that big of an industry a lot of people don't opt to go to documentary filmmaking. So, what made you decide to become a documentary filmmaker? Well, I'm glad
3: you asked because my father, after radio and sound, he became one of America's foremost international television distributors. Mm-hmm. And I used to question him from the time I was 14. I would say, Dad, why do you have to show Americans looking so unintelligent? He would be buying programs like Hee Haw, which was sight gags and just the lowest type of humor you could imagine. I said, why can't you buy something like, Jacques Cousteau, as a family, we watched that every Thursday night and it was totally excellent programming. Why can't you buy something like that for world audiences? He represented over 45 countries around the world. He represented the Shah of Iran uh, and many other amazing uh, English speaking and uh, other countries. And uh, he always said, people come home, they want to kick back, they don't want to solve the world's problems. They just want to have a beer and be entertained. That was his answer and was pretty much the answer for a long time. I had other ideas, and moving here to San Francisco was an opportunity to join what was the largest enclave of documentary filmmakers in the country, over 3,500 of them in the 1970s when I moved here. And KQED, our public television station at the time, was the center of production for all of that kind of work. More films from Sundance have originated from San Francisco. More Oscar-winning documentaries have come from San Francisco than any other city. So it was really a chance to be with the kind of community that I had always inspired to be.
1: You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today we're talking about Scoop, Octonauts Ocean Adventures and we're talking with a bunch of amazing people. Right now we're listening to Jerry talk with Steve Michelson who's a producer of Making Media That Matters.
2: Uh, You know, something that I often think about because I'm also a film critic at Kids First and I have reviewed some documentaries. And something that I always struggled with was the ethics of documentary filmmaking. Not only if you should tell or show a person's life where they may not want to have that part shown, but also what is the responsibility, you know, uh, if a documentarian should just show, if they should try to show uh, how to solve something. So in your opinion, what is the ethical duty of a documentarian?
3: well what a lot of people there are many types of documentaries i specialize in cause related documentaries these days for other reasons but all documentaries seem to uh, you know succeed or fail based on the characters themselves that are in the film and ultimately you have to be as observational as possible and not try to turn the story into something that viewers aren't seeing right there through the characters themselves. So putting people in a, in a situation, in an environment that they're not used to, that they're not familiar with, through the eyes of the characters that are in that story, that's the secret of what makes documentaries work. It's also the secret from an executive producer point of view, failing to do that disqualifies you from grants, disqualifies you from public television opportunities, disqualifies you from many other uh, important opportunities for the distribution of your film.
2: I think you touch a good point on the business side, and your documentaries have covered many different causes from environmental to social and so many more. Do you think there's a specific cause, however, that needs to be shown more in documentaries?
3: Well, these days I'm focusing on health. As the one you see in the presidential discussions, healthcare is a big issue. But um, everybody's been focusing on the wrong thing. They've been focusing on insurance. Really, you know, we have a sick care system. We need a healthcare wellness system. And my current film, In Our Own Hands: How Patients Are Reinventing Medicine, is the story of 130 million people today—30 million of them children—who have autoimmune disease and disorders, from autism to to uh, Crohn's disease to you know a list of about 50 of them—is what what is the opening of the film we don't see it as an epidemic but it really is and it's all caused by something we're not sure of it's uh, it's in our diet it's in our environment it's not genetic uh to have these many people sick today is a serious problem so this new film in our own hands is going to really open up this conversation
2: I think that's great that you guys are talking about this because it is a major issue and it is one of the issues that isn't getting enough representation. Like you said, healthcare is something that's being discussed, but the actually repercussions, the actual real day-to-day life of the healthcare system is not being talked about. So I'm glad your films are talking about that. And because you have this experience with non-documentarian and documentarian filmmaking, how do you think the process of making these films like the one you just mentioned is different, whether it's narrative or documentary?
3: Well, these days, it's not enough to make a film anymore. So I advise all filmmakers, all content creators, I call them, to make a suite of different types of media. These days, when you look at the landscape, you've got 75-plus million millennials out there. And the only way into them, they love documentary films, but it's got to be a minute or shorter before they even become interested in your subject. There are 72 million baby boomers like myself who we still like our long form and we gravitate towards that. So you have to have a mixture of short media, mid, mid short films, and then long form media in the form of a feature documentary. So, uh, how you then release that is a kind of an interesting part of the strategy that one needs to, to create. So, when you're looking at half the population of America having totally opposing viewing media habits, you have to rethink a little bit what you're trying to accomplish.
2: Absolutely. Make some great points. And that leads me to my next question. For young filmmakers who want to make documentaries, because there are many kids out there who want to show some part of their world that they're experiencing, what tips would you give them to make successful and interesting, but also captivating documentaries?
3: Well, you want to walk before you run. You want to start with short media first and get your own generation. You know, we're looking at a billion hours of YouTube consumed daily. We're looking today at 3.8 billion video posts on Facebook daily. So you want to basically get your message out into those uh, channels to get your career started. And these days it's easy, and I'm so impressed with young filmmakers who have skills that – Many uh, And and, and from drones to all sorts of filters and post-production capabilities, effects capabilities. I mean, these things used to require millions of dollars of equipment that they're now done on people's laptops. So uh, I'm very impressed with people's creativity less uh l- less successful are sometimes how they actually get them out there, so people who are committed to their message uh are the ones that I'm most interested in working with because they work the different channels and one of my rules is the five impression rule you can't just rely on a single impression for people to see your media you have to you have to work five different ways of marketing from e blasts to social media to Uh, Sometimes print media, postcards, lots of different ways to get to your audience.
2: I like your holistic marketing perspective. I think that's so true in today's world. I definitely recommend it for our audience, especially the kids who are listening. There's nothing stopping you. If there's a story you want to tell, if there's a documentary you want to make, definitely make it. One of the ways we can learn is you recently started an educational course all about making media that matters. That is the title of the course. I love that. So could you talk a little bit about what that course entails and what you're teaching?
3: Yeah, I have. uh, The first episode of the course is about some of the principles of being committed. A lot of filmmakers, the history of of documentary filmmakers is I make my film, I hand it off to a distributor, and then I make my next film. That doesn't work so much anymore for cause-related media. I'm always looking for people I call committed filmmakers. Sometimes it's their only subject. They will have known this subject and they're committed to it long after the making of the film. The rest of the course is our case studies of people who have made films and created social change. That's got to be the goal of why you're making the film in the first place. So so get on with that and there are a lot of really incredible things to learn these days about engagement, about strategies of getting audiences to become part of your film. So it doesn't just end with the making of the film. You have to design everything up front from crowdsource funding to uh, many other ways of using community screenings primarily to reach your audience and build from there. You can start with some very... This was what I used to call narrowcasting at a time when, when we only knew of broadcasting. But as cable came along and now the Internet, the opportunity to reach smaller and smaller markets is here. So you have to use that. I'm working with... Particular disease areas where families have gathered, and they're fantastic supporters of my films. So I'm teaching the next generation of documentarians how to think out of the box how to think about the committed story and the social change they want to accomplish. And then it's not just about making the film, it's about extracting from the film clips and creating trailers and social media elements and building an entire network, an entire suite of media to uh, roll out one's campaign. It's really all about the campaign.
2: Definitely seems so, and thank you so much for talking to us all about the world of documentary filmmaking.
1: Let's take a break. I'm Catherine, and I'm from Chicago, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show's sponsor is Llama Llama Best Ever, Ever on DVD.
4: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies.
5: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up.
1: Hey, welcome back. I'm Catherine, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've just been talking with Steve Mccleston, who's a producer of Making Media That Matters. Right now, we're about to talk with Dominic, who's interviewing George Schellinger and Jessica Harvey for Shark School with Jessica Harvey.
6: Hi, this is Dominic DeGravio reporting for Kids First. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing George Schellinger and Jessica Harvey about their new show, Shark School, Jessica Harvey. I watched the film a few days ago and I have to say, wow, this is the coolest school on the planet. I learned all about tiger sharks, bull sharks, the great hammerhead, and more. Let's find out more about these two people and how this show came about. George Challenger is the executive producer of the Guy Harvey Ocean Foundation. Jessica is a trained zoologist. She grew up around the ocean and is now using that passion for projects on conservation ed- and education. My first questions are for George. What was your favorite part in the making of Shark School with Jessica Harvey?
5: Well, Dominic, first of all, thank you for having us on your show today. Very cool, always great to to work with kids first. The favorite part about working on this was working with Jessica, of course, and working with sharks. I mean, what more could you want? I love these animals, they are so cool.
6: I believe they're cool too. The cinematography in this film was truly amazing. Where was your favorite place that you filmed?
5: Well, I have two. Jessica and I, and we just got back from, in in January, she and I went to Tiger Beach in the Bahamas, which is just an incredible place. And in October last year, she and I went to Guadalupe Bay, home of the white shark, and that was amazing too. So being able to travel to Jessica with these places and, and photograph these amazing animals, so much fun.
6: Mm-hmm. That's very fascinating. Switching over to Jessica. Jessica, can you explain to us, in a way that a 10-year-old can understand, what is it like to study and dive with sharks?
7: Well, I um, I actually started diving with sharks when I was 10 years old myself. We were in Walker's Key, and it was the first time we were able to go diving in shallow water with sharks. Uh, Caribbean reef sharks and lemon sharks and nurse sharks. And I was amazed. We just got to sit on the bottom, be in a peaceful environment with all our friends and family. My father was the one who took me down there. And it was mesmerizing. They all came in around us, didn't pay us any mind at all. And we just watched them feed on this piece of bait that was sitting in the middle of the sandbank that we sat on and it was fascinating. And now to be able to use those experiences, build on those experiences for scientific study is so much fun. And to be able to, you know, chat with you about it and share this kind of passion is, makes it that much more enjoyable.
6: Your work is very interesting, especially to someone who has such respect for animals and the environment. What words can you use to describe your work?
7: Ooh, that's a good question. First word would probably be challenging because you have to work with nature and nature is unpredictable, right, George? <laughs> you, you have to be, you have to know where to be at the right time. You have to be ready for any moment because. You don't know when a certain shark is going to come around and sometimes you're going to spend hours looking for them before you find the one that you can even tag so certainly challenging it's so much fun as well i love every second that i'm out there because you never know what you're going to see you're in an environment where sharks exist with other animals so the opportunity to be able to experience an ecosystem is also very fun and it's just fascinating. As, I, as you say, you know, science is a tool that is used to help answer questions about our world. And as you know, you have to do a lot of research ahead of time, and you're going to be able to contribute your knowledge to the growing knowledge of these sharks. So challenging, fun, and fascinating is what I would say.
6: In your opinion, what's the most interesting shark species and why?
7: The top three, definitely for me, would be hammerheads, oceanic white tips, and tiger sharks, I think, because they are so different. And all, and that's why sharks are so interesting. They have evolved over millions of years to fit specific niches, and each one is, is so fascinating. It's very hard, but I love those three.
1: You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we're talking about Scoob and Octonauts Ocean Adventures, right now, we're listening to Dominic talk with George Stalinger and Jessica Harvey for Shark School with Jessica Harvey. All
6: mm-hmm. right, so back to George. You've worked on projects involving a variety of species. Can you explain to us what made you choose sharks for many of these projects?
5: I would say that the reason why is sharks need our help. They don't have a voice under the sea and to help communicate their what they're up against because if we, if we continue to fish the big ones, they're going to be gone. And your generation won't have a chance to see them. And, and so Jessica and I really want to educate people. We make these films to educate people. So you have a chance. And when, you get, when you're ready to dive with sharks, your generation will jump into an ocean just filled with life. So that's why it is so important. Education, so people understand these animals.
6: Jessica, I'm pretty booked about the usage of single-use plastics. I'm sure that you see how these plastics affect marine life. Why should kids my age be concerned about it? And what can they do to help with this issue?
7: That's a. I agree with you. I'm pretty bummed about it as well, and it's very hard to get away from because we've we've had years of previous generations using up so much, and now younger generations have to deal with the problem. So, for, as a young person, to realize that it takes years. For plastic to break down in comparison to natural products is really important to grasp. I mean we're still seeing plastics exist from the day that they were created decades ago and that is causing a problem because it is accumulating in our environment and there is nowhere for them to actually dissolve um, and not play a negative impact on our environment. The other thing too is that it's toxic and these animals are ingesting this plastic and then you are ingesting these animals and you could become sick from this bioaccumulation of toxins. And so it's really important to know this for your own health because you want to live for a very long time. You want to be able to go and see all these amazing places and your health is very important to, to do that. Um, And then the other thing too, is that these plastics are killing many, many marine animals and you see you see it all the time and the only way we're going to be able to prevent this from happening is to stop plastic plastic use altogether and or even and you but we do things in stages so there's definitely solutions that we can do and every little bit helps we're not going to be able to wipe the planet of plastic tomorrow but we can certainly reduce what we use and that is helpful if everyone took part
0: True.
6: Do you ever foresee starting a marine biology program for kids? Because I'd be
7: super excited to join. Oh, cool! Well, actually, this is such a great time because we are working with different partners to act, to create marine curriculum, marine science curriculums in schools. So we have, are working with um, Discovery Ed already. We have a bunch of different educational material on our website, as you know. And um, we'll be working, we've worked with uh, Nova Southeastern University for a very long time. So there are creations too that have been a part, like the science that ha- has helped, that we've been a part of, is part of that university. And so you can do marine science there. But we're also, I'm also hoping to create a really cool volunteer program so that people can experience more um, expeditions and do some in-field stuff with with other partners as well. So as soon as that's formalized, I'll let you know for sure. But there's definitely cool things in the works in terms of school curriculums. And hopefully we'll have more marine science examples in other subjects too.
6: Okay. I totally joined. So, you know.
7: Wicked. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm very excited. A kid's first review of the marine science program would be awesome. We want to make it the best it can be.
6: George, can you tell our audience, where can people see Shark School with Jessica Harvey? I'm sure you're going to find some real fans after they listen to the two of you.
5: Excellent. Well, on Amazon, you will find a lot of our documentaries. I think we have 19 up there. So you'll find Shark School and then a wide variety. So, so you, can, you can, there's the Oceanic White Tip documentary, a Mako Shark documentary, There's documentaries on billfish. So just a whole universe of marine sea life that you can find out about on on Amazon.
6: That's all we have time for now. Thanks to George Schellinger and Jessica Harvey for joining me today on Kids First Coming Attractions to talk about their upcoming film, Shark School with Jessica Harvey, and teaching all of us about the importance of protecting our marine life and educating ourselves about one of the most misunderstood creatures in the ocean are sharks this is dominic DeGravio reporting for kids first
1: let's take a break i'm katherine from chicago and you're listening to kids first coming attractions today's show is sponsored by llama llama best summer ever on dvd
4: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies.
5: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up.
1: Hey, welcome back. I'm Catherine, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Making Media That Matters and Shark School with Jessica Harvey. Right now, I'm going to talk to Jude about Scoob, followed by Allison and Octonaut's Ocean Adventures. So what was your opinion on Scoob?
8: Oh, I thought it was, first of all, I I thought it was great. I thought that there were some parts that felt a little out of place, but... Besides that, I felt like the voice acting was phenomenal, um, the animation was good, um, and I thought the humor was great, and I thought everything was spot on. How, how, how did you feel about the animation?
1: I thought that the animation was really pretty stunning. It was stunning, and it looked like all of the characters that you would find in the cartoons, but mm-hmm. more 3D. And you said there were some things that were a little misplaced. Was, uh, what was that, and was there anything, what would you change about it?
8: I felt like some parts weren't needed and they could have been a little bit more direct because a lot of the time it kind of led to a little bit of forced humor. And as much as I I could not get enough of Scooby-Doo, there are some parts where I felt like they could have been more direct and had a little bit less forced humor and and, and took their time to make the humor work.
1: And would you just like, Oh, what would you do to change that? Would you add more humor would you take it away or what would
8: you change um i i I love humor but i felt i i maybe i would take it a little bit away because if you have less of it you you will appreciate you you appreciate it more because you don't get as much of it
1: that's right less is more and i also thought that it was yeah a little bit predictable at some times and yeah uh Mm -hmm. but Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of characters in the movie, even some Easter egg characters like uh Simon Cole's uh son was in it and Tracy yeah. daughter was. And so uh what character was most like you and why?
8: I would have to say Dino Mutt because he was always straight to the point. He wanted um he wanted to go with he wanted to go what with the most logical answer. Um and he didn't really take anything. He was he was strict, he was a good leader, uh, and he stepped up when other people wouldn't. What about you?
1: I would probably say, if I had to pick any character that was most like me, I would say all of them, honestly. Like, all of the, <laughs> I guess kind of, and as Jason Isaacs was saying, he was saying we're all a little bit a part of them all. Like, some of mm-hmm. us, we're, we can all be a little tech-savvy, nice, and you know, silly. So I would say if I could do all of them, I would, but maybe, Mm -hmm. yeah, I like, uh, Dino Mutt, definitely. I agree with you on that because get to the point, straight to the point, always stepping up and stuff. But yeah, I think I would, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good question trying to, you know, figure out who you would be for a part of that. But, uh, it's an, and that brings me, well, almost brings me to my other question which is uh what else are you at or are you watching during COVID 19 there this is a great movie to watch it's just happy and cheery good ending but what are you watching and what do you recommend
8: um i i've been watching a bunch of disney movies i love disney um especially uh just mulan tangled all those great movies because i feel like those movies can even though they're intended for young audiences they can cause they can go for a wide range of ages w- what about you
1: oh yes i i've been watching well i'm trying to watch all of the marvel movies in order if uh, mm-hmm. i i'm a, i'm a big marvel fan but yes i totally agree with the disney stuff uh i love all those shows grew up watching them and uh, i just i love disney disney's the best who doesn't love disney
8: <laughs> yeah exactly
1: but uh we are wrapping up soon, so I'm going to ask our final question. So, uh, what age and what star rating would you give Scoob?
8: Um, I would have to give Scoob four or five stars just because of the fantastic humor and characters, um, but a little bit of unneeded scenes and forced humor at some times. And I would have to rate it uh, – I'd have to – recommended for kids uh for kids ages four to 18 plus adults um because of the because of the crude humor and mild action
1: Uh, thanks so much for talking with me
8: (laughs) (laughs) anytime of course it was a pleasure
1: you're listening to kids first coming attractions we've just been talking to jude about scoop and now i'm about to talk about octonauts ocean adventures with allison so allison what was your opinion on octonauts ocean adventures
9: I really, really enjoyed Octonauts Ocean Adventures. I thought it was very clever in the way that they talked about ocean animals and gave us information while still making it fun. How did you
1: feel about it? I loved it, and there were so many things you could learn, and all the animals were adorable. I mean, all those those animals in Octonauts are... So cute. But, and it was really interesting to learn about everything. And speaking of interesting things, what was the most interesting you learned about in Octonauts Ocean Adventures?
9: So one of the most interesting things that I learned was there are these things that are to- in the bottom of the ocean called bomber worms. And they have flares, like little lights that they just grow on themselves. And they throw them at other animals who are trying to eat them to protect themselves. And I was like, That's so interesting. I never even knew they existed. What about you? What do you think was something really interesting that you learned?
1: Yeah, well, definitely always on these Octonauts things, you learn about something new that you've never learned about before. The Bomber worms, absolutely never, never, ever learned about. Uh, Those were really interesting, and I was like, "How, how do they do that? I guess animals have a really cool way of defense. I know. So that was really... Very interesting. And so Octonauts is all about how animals are, well, how the Octonauts, who are the team of people saving animals, are saving animals. So if you were an animal in the sea, which Octonaut would you want uh, to help you?
9: Ooh, you know, I think I really liked Captain Barnacles. He kind of knew how to take charge, and I think I would feel very safe if he was there and he was protecting me or saving me. I would really just like to have him around. Who was your favorite Octonaut?
1: Oh, my favorite Octonaut, I definitely love them all, but uh, maybe Peso because he's just kind of a sweet little... Uh mm-hmm. penguin who's always wanting to help and yeah he's and he's a good medical person so if i if i'd maybe like broken a flipper or something i definitely want his help octonauts is based in the ocean if just so everybody knows <laughs> and as as people who've watched this know and as i'm about to tell you octonauts is re- it's really pretty settings like it's almost a snake believe world but it looks really real in a animation way it's all under the sea and it's it's just it's visually stunning and there are so many little nooks and crannies everywhere and even their little machinery is so cute it's like uh quasi who is one of the octonauts his little um under the sea submarine thing is like a little shark, which is adorable. So if you could base a little ship off of an animal in Octonauts, what would you base it off of?
9: There was an episode, I think it was the first one, called The Mantis Shrimp. And it was about these two predatory mantis shrimp who were kind of fighting over space. And I think if I could make a guppy, which is like the little Octonaut ship you were talking about, I would make it like a mantis shrimp because I feel like that would be scary, especially if it was big. It would scare off other people. It could take up space. I feel like with all the legs, it could probably move really fast. So what would you create if you could do any of the animals just in the ocean?
1: Oh, that's a good question as well. I, do, I definitely like your um, your mantis shrimp because it has all of the little gadgets or and, you know, like The spear whatever it was (laughs) you know it has all those cool like gadgets and I would have all those cool gadgets but if I had to choose an animal to base it off of I would think maybe a seal because I mean it seals are pretty agile and stuff and so I feel like it'd be it have good back space and yeah something like that probably or maybe like even A well, maybe even like a penguin or a seabird, because uh, seabirds, because they can fly, and that'd be super cool to have if you're just flying over the ocean, or like a penguin, because they can swim really well, but then again, one of the characters is a penguin, (laughs) so that might be a little awkward, (laughs) but anyway, um, what do you think the message of uh, Octonauts is?
9: I think the message throughout all the episodes in Octonauts Ocean Adventures is that teamwork is very important and that if you need to solve a problem, you can really count on teamwork to help you out. And um, always, I think, be kind and try to work things out with other people is a message that was spread throughout the episodes and is a really good message that I think a lot of shows should try to portray.
1: Yeah, teamwork makes a dream work. (laughs) That's also, and and then of course helping others in need because they're all about helping animals in need or stuff like that. So I would definitely agree with you.
9: I think the Octonauts are good role models and especially in kids shows, you should have role models. You should have something that especially younger kids can look up to and just follow their lead so that they do good things and help others just like the Octonauts do.
1: Uh, we're about to wrap up, so I'm just going to ask you your star rating out of five and your age range for Octonauts Ocean Adventures. What would you give them? So
9: I give Octonauts Ocean Adventures five out of five stars. I really enjoyed it. I thought the message was great. The episodes were interesting, and I loved the setting. And I would recommend it to ages five to 12.
1: All right. Thank you so much for talking with me.
9: It was great. Thank you so much for hosting us. Awesome.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Let's take a break. I'm katherine from Chicago, and you're listening to Kids' First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Llama Llama, Best Summer Ever on DVD.
4: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: To become a Kids First Film Critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies.
5: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up.
1: Hey, welcome back. I'm Catherine, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Scoob and Octonauts Ocean Adventures. Next, we'll be listening to Ethan talk with Jason Chung, the professor and executive director of eSports at the University of New Haven.
10: This is Ethan Purston reporting for Kids First. Today, I have the pleasure to interview a remarkable person, Mr. Jason Chung. Mr. Jason Chung is an assistant professor of sport management and executive director of eSports at the University of New Haven in West Haven, Connecticut. Hi, Mr. Chung. How are you doing?
4: Nice to meet you, Ethan.
10: So, Mr. Chung, obviously you're passionate about eSports. So do you have a favorite video game?
4: Yeah, I do, actually. So I have a couple of uh, favorites in different genres. In the AAA titles, which are, you know, uh, single-player narrative games, as you know, uh, I love GTA V, which is a little bit above your age rating. Um, And in terms of esports, I love uh, the sports games primarily. Uh, um, I play FIFA quite a bit, and I love the NBA 2K series. But obviously, I like some of the shooters as well, again, which is a little bit above the age rating, but uh, they're fun as well.
10: So as assistant professor and executive director of eSports at the University of New Haven, what exactly does your job entail? I mean, like, what do you do on a daily basis?
4: Yeah, so what we do instead of, you know, everybody thinks, well, it's playing games and all of that. But really, when you look at eSports as an industry, right, as a potential uh, career that you can do, it's actually a pretty big uh, job opportunity for people of your generation, uh, and forward. So basically, it's, a, it's an industry that's growing worldwide, and the compa- competitive video gaming aspect is, is a big business uh, it, that's now a billion dollars a year. Uh, so we want to prepare our students to contribute in that space, whether it's through marketing or whether it's through uh, managing projects or whether it's doing production. Uh, we want them to be prepared to take those jobs and really uh, be the leaders in that space in the coming, uh, in the coming years.
10: So you've been playing video games since your childhood but when and how did you start being an esports professional and was there a particular point in your life that you realized this is your career?
4: Yeah so I have to say that you know the beauty about life is that sometimes there are jobs that uh, that uh, come into existence (laughs) that weren't really part of a a childhood so when I was growing up uh, there was no such thing as esports right competitive video gaming was not a thing uh, it became more of a thing you know, when I was a teenager, and, and now it's a big business, uh, but I didn't go that route. So you know, my video game skills are unfortunately still a little, a little mediocre, uh, so I decided to do the easier thing and become a lawyer instead, uh, and, uh, and th- through that, I studied sports, right, traditional sports and the issues in that, including contracts, uh, you know, health, uh, technology, and of course, that prepared me for a career in competitive video gaming and esports. On the business side so you know how do we do those contracts so, you know how do we make sure the players are safe what do we do to create a, a, a great organization so that you know the athletes are well taken care of but also businesses can make money and uh, you know everybody's happy so that's basically how i got into esports
10: so um you also studied pol- political science and you're a lawyer like you said by training so how did your parents react when you varied away from practicing like law and convention, way to pursuing a profession in sports management and esports?
4: Well, I was very fortunate. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, my family has always been supportive in what I do, even if they don't fully understand what I do. Uh, and obviously, when I said I want to, you know, uh, go into academia from being a lawyer, they were supportive. Uh, when I said, hey, uh, you know, when I had the opportunity to build up courses in esports uh, at various universities, uh, they were supportive as about that as well, even though they didn't quite understand what that was. So I think it's it's a good lesson in the sense that, you know, you have to, it's a, it's a relationship, right? The one you have with your parents. And they don't always have to understand everything that you do, but just know that you're doing the best thing that interests you.
1: Yeah. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we're talking about Scoob and Octonauts Ocean Adventures. Right now, we're listening to Ethan talk with Jason Chung, the professor and executive director of esports at the University of New Haven. So, uh, please tell us
10: about the intersection of sports, health, and technology in the esports course that you created and launched at the New York University.
4: Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, right now I'm at the University of New Haven, as you mentioned. Uh, but my previous job was at NYU, and I created the first esports business courses over there. And uh, you know, uh, my background as an attorney um, and in traditional sports led me to really study the issues of what happens with sport technology also with sports health so you know i had already had a background in that and then when it came to esports then it became you know well do these athletes get injured and really they do right so you don't think that video games can be dangerous but just like anything if you play too much of it and you're clicking around the mouse too much you can develop conditions like repetitive stress disorder and other things so we want to make sure that athletes are safe uh we want to help create you know uh, training regimens for esports athletes to make sure that they're actually not overtraining as well, and then uh, you know once we can do all of that, then the industry will have matured, and that's why I think the uh, the you know that's how I got into the academic space about that, right? <laughs> and that's why how I got into the esports courses that deal with sports health and technology.
10: Yeah, I understand. Um, so can you tell us the impact, if any, the COVID nineteen pandemic is having on esports and the online gaming industry?
4: yeah it's having a huge impact. Uh, you know I, I have a lot of conversations every day with uh, people in various industries that always talk to me about what is eSports doing uh, during Covid because everybody thinks, hey, you know if you're if you're at home and you want to compete with other people, how do you do it? Well, you have to do it online and you have to do it through a through a game. So obviously eSports is having its moment. Um, you know ultimately, what I tell people is that you know, just like any other industry, uh, esports has been affected by this, right? So the competitions that took place in big stadia and all that has been put on hold, and the esports industry has gotten a lot more savvy about, you know, how do we actually bring these experiences online? How do we create new channels where we can make money, uh, you know, online? And you know, that's actually been really instructive, not just for the esports industry, but for all the different industries as well, right? Including traditional sports, who I talk to quite often as well.
10: Yeah. So, um, do you have like an opinion on these like really popular famous games, for example, like Fortnite, Overwatch, PUBG? Do you have any like views about that?
4: I mean, <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> you know, ultimately, I think they've done a great job of, you know, ensuring that, that the, the games are accessible for people of all ages, uh, particular games like Fortnite. Uh, you know, they've created new revenue streams. So on the business side, we study that all the time. How did they get uh, you know, uh, people interested in it, but also we take a cautionary look at some of the stuff. We don't want to, we don't want, uh, students spending too much time, uh, playing the games either, or overspending in those games. So really the question is how do we do the balance? Um, but you know, ultimately everybody in the industry is collaborating together and working together to make sure it's a good experience for everybody.
10: So do you get to see games before they're released and do you get to review them? Like, and do they change it or... Do you wish that they could change it?
4: Well, I mean, I have to say, unfortunately, when you're a professor uh, in the business sense, uh, you're not a creative, right? So the thing is, generally, it's the creative types that, that really have more control over that. What I could say is that I have been privileged enough to actually visit. A lot of the developers in person i 've been to write uh, games in l a for instance, and have gotten behind the scenes tours, seen what it 's like to to you know see what their competitive space is like, what their training spaces are like, uh, and also we work with them on sort of you know everything in the academic programming as well so you know unfortunately, not as much on the play side but uh, but you know a, a lot on the business development side and I can also say. That at the university we're also very lucky because we've actually built out competitive esports spaces. We actually have an arena and a training center that's being built right now. Uh, it's going to go for quite a lot of money, uh, and it has top of the line gaming uh, stations. So the battle I- stations are great, and I- uh, you know it's a, a, a big thing. So you know uh, definitely we get to play too, but usually a little bit after the fact.
10: I like that. That is very great. Um- do you have any positions or jobs that you thought was your favorite out of all of them?
4: I think the one I'm doing now. I, I think that's it's it's really uh, the culmination of a lot of things. I think I had to go through a number of different careers and jobs to get the one to have the background to do the one I do now. Uh, like I said, esports wasn't a thing that 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 existed when I was born or when I was a, I was a kid. Uh, I it only became really huge in North America in the last 10 years. So uh, really, I had to get the education. But I also have to get the training in various jobs to be able to actually write about and write and think about the things that are important in this industry. So, you know, it goes to show that none of the education experiences you have are, 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 are useless. They all come in handy later on.
10: So quick question. Can I visit you there?
4: <laughs> Absolutely. We'd love to have you when it's uh, when it's safe for when the government says it's safe for you to go out and come to visit. We'd love to have you out here anytime. Just let me know.
10: So, what advice would you give to students who want to have a career of creating or reviewing online video games?
4: Well, if you want to do creating and, and reviewing video games, or if you want to work in the esports industry and, and help arrange the tournaments, it really pays to know the industry. So, uh, really read up on the industry. Get to know it. You don't, you know. Obviously, I say you know it's a balance in all things. You don't want to, you don't want to overprepare either. There's a little bit of spontaneity that's important as well. But there, but also take advantage of the opportunities that are available to you. So, uh, for instance, uh, we run the first esports academic program that's uh, accredited by a major body in the AACSB in the United States. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we're going to launch is the first of its kind in the world. So, uh, you know, these are kind of educational experiences that did not exist last year, right? Let alone 10 years ago. So when you have programs like that, check them out. See if they're the right fit for you. Come talk to people like me. See if they're the right fit for your long-term plans. And then also ask. Don't be afraid to ask about, you know, what should I be reading? What should I be looking at? How do I learn a bit more before I get to the university stage uh, and contribute?
10: Thank you so much, Mr. Chong, for your time and sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks, Ethan. This is Ethan Purston
1: signing off. Goodbye. Thanks so much for joining. You've been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First film credit team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, kidsworld.com, Kidsville News, and more. This show is produced by Coalition for Quality, Children's Media for Voice America, and iHeartRadio. Today's show is sponsored by Lama Llama Best Hub, Ever on DVD. This has been Catherine with Kids First. Bye-bye!
0: Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode and tune in again next week.